This is get back up. You know, life is fragile. I have evidence. Last week, my family and I went to Texas to visit my sister Kate and her husband Tom and their three kids. Yes, we drove there, four days of driving for a four-day visit. I like driving. I like my wife, so I get to spend four days with my wife driving. It's all right. We got there, and my nephew Simeon had a terrible cold, and we all caught it. So all week, we've been suffering from this horrible cold, evidence that my immune system is fragile. Like life, my immune system is fragile. We were driving in Dallas. In fact, on Wednesday, we drove downtown. Wanted to see the sights. Quite a nice city. We'd never been to Texas before. I had flown in for a conference, but that doesn't really count, right? You fly in, go to the conference, fly out. My family had never been there. And so my sweet wife had an opportunity to repent of her hatred of all things Texan. You may have met people like this. They tend to be a little left of center. They tend to think that Texas is evil. And my wife is one of those people. I love her all the same. And so it was wonderful to take her to Texas and have her say, wow, this is really beautiful and really awesome in its own kind of lovely way. And downtown Dallas was pretty fantastic. It's always amazing to us when we go to the United States how the United States is so the United States. What's even scarier is that the United States is so Guelph. Head a little bit south of downtown and you could be anywhere in the U.S., we're driving through downtown Dallas. We're actually heading to uh, where JFK got shot. Pulled onto the highway, 75, South Dallas, middle lane. All of a sudden, wham, someone rear-ends us. A lady swerved from the right lane through three lanes of traffic and took out the rear end of our minivan. On vacation in Dallas, my bumper is fragile. And we got home to Guelph. We kind of taped it together, so we looked like we were from South Dallas. <laughs> Actually, we looked like we were from Northeast Texas. God have mercy. We drove through Northeast Texas on the way home. It's like the third world, man. Every town we go through, my wife was like, oh! And so we Google it and read about the racial tension and the dark history of hatred. A man was lynched in Paris, Texas in 1996. Like, what the? Wonderful for my kids to see it, right? Like, oh my gosh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yes, you are in Kansas. <laughs> Drove through Northeast Texas. My bumper, duct taped. Get home to Guelph. I don't know any body shops in Guelph. I hadn't even lived here a year. I don't even have a mechanic, so I go to the local Rapid Lube place that I've been using. I'm like, yo, could you show me like a body shop? Sure, sure, no problem. They give me reference to a body shop. I go see the guy at the body shop. No problem, we can fix your car. It's all set up, leave the car there, get the rental, perfect. Monday comes around, I get a call. Yeah, hi, I'm the owner of the body shop. The guy you were dealing with is trying to swindle you. He doesn't work for me, he's trying to take the job from me, so you can't trust him. I was like, but who are you? I don't know you. So I said this whole day of trying to figure out who's legit, who's not. Trust is fragile. I don't know who to trust. This week... One of the boys on our football team at Centennial High School where I coach. You know, I think it's just another Tuesday, right? You wake up, things are going to be good. Maybe not. Dad's dead in his bedroom. 45 years old. Life is fragile. He died. And so did Sarah. 
Here's Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you're a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It's at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my lord, hear me, I give you this field. And I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron said to Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burial place by the Hittites. You'd think at first glance there's nothing to preach from this chapter, and that's what I thought. Then I worked with it a little bit, and fortunately I found a few things. Few hints for how to deal with the fragility of life. Courtesy of Genesis chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. Verse 2. Sarah died. I keep telling you the Bible is your friend. Here's why it doesn't pull any punches, it tells you the truth. Right? You live for a bit and then you die. You live for a bit and then you die. In her case, 127 years. Good long life. But then she died. Okay, the Bible's your friend. It tells you the truth. It brings it like it is. The reminder for us here is very powerful. Your time is limited. Your time is limited, so use it well. Maybe ask yourself this week, when was the last time I did an effectiveness inventory? You know what that is, right? You think about your life, you think about the things that you're doing, and you measure them for effectiveness. And because you're a Christ follower, you're not just a normal person, you're one of those crazy people who follows Jesus. You look at effectiveness a little bit differently. When you run an effectiveness inventory, you're asking yourself this question. Am I doing anything that's really worthwhile? Am I doing anything that will echo into eternity? When you hold your life up to that measure, that's when things get scary. 
Or ask it this way, when was the last time I did something that will echo into eternity? Or ask it this way, what do I need to do this week to do something that will echo into eternity? Or ask it this way, how can I turn this task into something that will echo into eternity? Because you live for a bit and then you die. The Bible's our best friend. It reminds you that, you know what, everybody's dying. But not everybody really lives. What are you doing that will echo into eternity? We're also reminded here that Sarah lived in between, just like us. Do you ever feel caught in the middle? Do you feel kind of weird and stressed out, like I'm a citizen in heaven, but I'm also a Canadian citizen? I know that my destiny is with Jesus, but I'm pretty worried about what my life's going to look like in my 70s and 80s and perhaps beyond. Do you ever feel, not at me, do you ever feel that way, like caught kind of in between? Like, I don't know where I belong. I, I have a hard time making sure my priorities are straight. Sarah was the same way. Verse 2, Sarah died at Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. This is not where she's from. She and Abraham are from Ur, the Chaldeans, kind of northeast Syria today, very, very far away from Kiryat Arba, the modern city of Hebron. In fact, Kiryat Arba still exists in modern Israel. She dies far from home. I want you to think about that. Isn't it nice to come home? You go away for a bit, even if it's somewhere really nice. Right? Even if it's, I don't know, Black Rock, Hawaii. Right? We want to go there someday. So even if you're there, and it's like, this is amazing. Isn't it nice to come home? Even if your house is simple and humble? It's nice. You know where the forks are. It smells like you. Right? Don't hotels always smell weird? Even if they smell nice, it's a nice kind of weird. You're like... I don't know, but you go home, you're like, oh, it smells like me, all right. <laughs> it's nice to come home. She died far from home. She's in the promised land, but we've talked about the fact that there's still dwelling in tents. How many of you have a wife? Some of you? Now, I'm not trying to be sexist, but I have not yet met a woman who seems to me would be excited to live in a tent for 62 years. It's not sexist, I'm just saying. If, if you are a woman who would love to live in a tent for 62 years, send me an email this week. I'd love to learn from you, because you are a unique cat. You're a strange breed, and I think that's amazing. Right? Sarah, 62 years living in a tent. It's not fun. She's in the promised land, but she's kind of still in between. It's going to be 13 generations from the death of this woman until her great, 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 great grandson, David, conquers the city of Jebus, renames it Jerusalem, and turns it into the Jewish capital. She dies 13 generations removed from permanence. Okay, if your life feels a little bit like it's in limbo, good, you're biblical. Don't let it get you down, man. This is normal, normal, normal. You live here, but your home is in the New Jerusalem. So like Sarah, you need to get comfortable with an in-between kind of life. And in the midst of that, you need to do everything you can to be everything God made you to be while keeping an eye on what really matters, which is His glory, your joy, and the joy of His people, and through your transformed life, the good that you do to the city in which you live. That's what really matters. 
And while you're doing all that, feel free to be deeply troubled by death when you encounter it. Like we did this week, like some of you have. Feel free to be deeply troubled. Verse 2, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The word here in the Hebrew is very powerful. It's lisfod. Lisfod, to wail. He went in to weep and to wail. Some of you have never experienced what it is to wail. I hope you never do. I'm not talking about garden variety sorrow here. I'm talking about abject cut to the heart. My life has been destroyed. Wailing. I've only ever experienced it once. Some of you have. You've experienced what it means to wail. And I hope that you never forget that Jesus wailed. As he hung there on the cross, as his Father placed on him the weight of our sin, and not just our sin, but of the sins of the world throughout all time. And as God the Father turned his back on God the Son, God the Son wailed, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Life sucks, but surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53.4. Hey man, listen to it this week. You got Apple Music or Spotify? Just put in, surely he has borne our griefs and you will get the song from Handel's Messiah. And trust me, if you listen to it, it'll minister to your soul. I was listening to it on repeat as I drove my car this week. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The pain that you felt or the pain that you feel because your life fell apart. I'm here to remind you this morning with joy that Jesus is intimately acquainted with that pain because he carried it on the cross. One of the worst things about pain is how alone you feel in the midst of it. Am I right? You feel like no one has ever had pain like this. That's why the scripture says, behold, is there any sorrow like Unto his sorrow. He was despised, rejected, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We sometimes miss the fact that as Jesus was praying by nights, the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, just across the Kidron Valley from downtown Jerusalem, the same distance he'd walked today on Palm Sunday is the same distance he walked again to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he prayed there, he was literally feeling the weight of the world, for he knew that on the morrow he would suffer and die for the sins of humanity throughout all time. So when you feel pain, when you feel sorrow, know that Jesus has carried that pain. And you are not alone. He identifies with you. In fact, he identifies with you and then some, which is why he's worthy of praise and why he's worthy of your worship, and why he's worthy of being the center of your life. So listen, next time death comes calling, feel free to wail about it. That's natural and normal. It'd be strange if you didn't. But then, get back up. Look at verses 3 and 4. 
And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burial place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Very important. And Abraham rose up from before his dead. He got back up. Yes, he wailed, but he got back up. Okay, we always get back up. Why do we always get back up? Hmm, We'll talk about this next week. But we get back up because Jesus got back up. Got back up. That's why we get back up. Every time you get back up, you're paying homage to Jesus and that great Easter Sunday morning when he got back up. So right, death comes visiting, sorrow comes visiting, yes, you weep, and sometimes you wail. That's an appropriate response. And then after a time, you get back up. Because you're a Christian. You're a Jesus follower. Where there's life, there's hope. More on that next week, baby. Life is hard, but we get back up. Darkness knocks you down, you get back up. And then you get to work. That's what he does in verses 4 through 20. Guys, I need somewhere to bury my wife. Can somebody sell me some land? Listen, take one of our tombs, no problem. He doesn't want one of their tombs. Interesting. Doesn't want to observe their traditions. Doesn't want to bury in the way in which they bury. He's God's guy. I got to do this a little bit different. I like my own place. Ask Ephron. Maybe I could have his field with the cave in it. You know, Machpelah, that one. Hey, look, take it. We'll give it to you. I appreciate that, but I would like to pay the price. What are you talking about? Just take it. You're like a prince of God among us. We love you. You're amazing. Just take the field. It's our gift. To you. No, I got to let me pay. All right, 400 shekels, you know. Price of 30 men. It breaks that off. Price of 30 men. 400 shekels. Buys a tomb for his wife. Give me property. Verse 4. Life is fragile, so dig in. (laughs) You saw I did there? You can dig a grave. (laughs) Life is fragile, so dig in, baby. Put down some roots. For 62 years, this man has been traveling. His wife dies. Now's the time. Life is fragile. So dig in, baby. Put down some roots. Do something that will last. Huh? Come on now. Somebody smile at me. You know, help me out here. You go out this week? Do something that will last. You know? Do something, because life is fragile. So you might as well do something that will last. Give me property. Verse 4, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. This is amazing. In the Hebrew, it's milifnai. Milifnai, from right in front of me. That'll preach right there. That I may bury my dead from right in front of me. Yes, life is fragile, but that doesn't mean you have to live the rest of your life with your loss right in front of your face. That'll preach right there for somebody here today. You heard? Let me bury my dead from right in front of my face. Life is fragile, but you don't have to hold it right in front of your face anymore. And I say this as someone who has suffered cataclysmic, life-changing loss. 
I know what this was like. So the admonition here is to make sure that we move through our loss towards defining ourselves by all that we have gained in Christ rather than defining ourselves by all that we have lost during our sojourn in the Shadowlands. Somebody shout. You feel me? Go ahead. You could go ahead and keep defining yourself by all that you've lost, but your life is going to be fairly miserable. You met people like this? Every time you talk to them, it's like, here's their loss right in front of their face, and they want to put it right in front of your face. And you have deep compassion on them because you know that they've suffered tremendous loss. Especially if you've suffered tremendous loss, you feel for them. You know, but even you who have suffered tremendous loss know how inappropriate it is for somebody to hold that loss in front of their face forever. Put the corpse away. Put it away. It's just a corpse now. It's not Sarah anymore. Let it go. You don't have to let it own you anymore. It doesn't have to be your business card anymore. You can identify yourself instead with all that you have been given in Christ. Not saying you didn't suffer. Not saying you didn't lose. The loss, the grief, the pain, the scars are real. Oh, here's my favorite point in the whole sermon. Okay, yes, the loss is real. The grief is real. The pain is real. The scars are real. And Jesus is real. And I'm here to remind you this morning that he rose again with his scars still on him. Y'all see how that could preach? He rose again. He got back up in his... I'm getting loud. He got back up in his resurrection body with his scars still on his resurrection body. So if Jesus bore his scars into his resurrection body, if even now, as he sits at the Father's right hand, he's got holes in his wrists and holes in his feet and a hole in his side, and if his back looks like hamburger helper, even now, even now, then you should have no reason to expect your life or legacy to look any different. In fact, the scripture, I believe, refers to suffering for the Christian as the fellowship of his sufferings. So you don't make your sufferings a false idol anymore. You put it away, and you bear the scars knowing that they make you look like Jesus. That's how the Christian story redeems suffering. Friendship with God through suffering. Look, life is fragile. And yes, it exacts a price. Verse 16. Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. The price of 13 men. Here's the point for you today. Feel me, don't miss this. Abraham pays the price of moving on. He pays the price of moving on. Life is fragile. What's it going to take for you to move on? 
What's it going to cost for you to move on? Count the cost. If you've got to save up, save up. And pay it. Stop being stuck. Stop being stuck. Pay the price to move on. Ask yourself this week, what do I have to do to move on? What do I have to do to move on? Some people never move on. Let the pain of post-cataclysm define them in their presence, in their present, and they let it define them as they move forward into the future. Don't let it happen. Worship team, I'm almost done. Don't let it happen. Don't let it define you. The pain is real. It's in the past. Don't let that pain define your present. And much more so, don't let it define your future. Let it go. Not going to sing the Disney tune. Come on, man. Not going to do it. I want to, though. Y'all know I want to. (laughs) Pay the price. Put it in the ground. Move on. You don't got to live the rest of your life carrying around a corpse. You don't got to. Don't got to. Look, no one can stop you from doing it if that's what you want to do, but you don't got to. Why? Because Jesus rose back up. Right? Hey, where there's life, there's hope. I got that one from Brian Houston yesterday, pastor of Hillsong. God bless him. I mean, why should you let grief live rent-free in your heart and mind forever? I mean, why should you? You got grief? It should at least be worth something. But instead, you're letting it live rent-free in your heart and mind. Stop it. Just stop it. Just put it in the ground already. Enough already. So Abraham, verse 19, buried Sarah, his wife. It's over. He buries her. He accepts his loss. may take you a while, but you need to accept your loss. Just accept it. It happened. It's real. I accept it. And then he gets back up. So decide to get back up. It may take you a while. You've got friends to help you. We love you. We'll help you. No one's rushing you. So when you're ready. We're not saying now. Saying eventually. Saying at some point. Get back up. And pay the price to put it out of your sight. Why? So that you can move on. That's how you deal with the fragility of life. Can I please point out that the first piece of real estate our spiritual forefather Abraham ever owned was a tomb. (laughs) I'm I'm shouting in my mind. The first piece of real estate our spiritual forefather ever owned was a tomb. Knowing the story, you think his friend, the God of the universe, might have set this up. 
We're big fans of tombs in God's family. Love them. You're like, why? Because everyone we ever see reminds us of the empty one in Jerusalem. Pretend like you're from South Dallas for a second. Help me out here. Every tomb we ever see reminds us of the empty tomb in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Let the Lord use you. Woo. Help me. All right, more on that next week. Come back for Easter, y'all. For now, <coughs> keep in mind the life is fragile. So go out there this week and get back up. <laughs>